Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Hey, thanks for listening in. This is Robert. Hey, I'm Zach. Join us for each episode as we apply the gospel to dive into the inner workings of the Christian faith. Are you agnostic or atheist and want to understand Christianity better? Want to learn more about Jesus? Discuss the differences between the modern and early churches? or maybe explore some of the Bible's most interesting characters, then we hope you'll join us in Achieving Christian Thought. All right, everyone listening, welcome back. We're on what? Episode 8, I believe. Um, yep. I'll have to go back and look. But uh, yeah, um, episode 8. Uh, I know last time uh, when we finished off... Um, both you, Zach, and Robert, uh, you both gave uh, two uh, really excellent parables um, that Jesus uh, told during his ministries. And um, if you haven't listened to that previous episode or you've kind of forgotten, uh, parables were uh, stories um, that Jesus told uh, to convey meaning or or to impart um, some of his wisdom uh, to the people listening. And back then, uh, parables and storytelling was the, was the common way of like passing down knowledge um, uh, between people. And so for this episode, uh, Robert, Zach, welcome back and i believe you have some more parables for us uh, we'll just uh pick right on up and uh, in, in jumping into those sounds good yes it does so um to launch into this uh last episode we jokingly called this you know a gospel talk around the campfire so relighting that fire one more time <laughs> to settle down and some spooky stories um <laughs> yeah not my, so much spooky although i guess in some ways it can be <laughs> my mine will be i i chose two that correspond with the same theme and uh the one i'm going to tell first it's uh, again a parable of jesus from matthew 13 all uh known as the wheat and the tares it's a simple story it's a farming story so that people who spent their lives telling the ground who came to listen to jesus could understand it well but and so basically this is a story that uses the uh, picture of a farmer, of people who tilled the soil back in the day who would hear Jesus speak would be able to hear uh, understand the story pretty well. But as the story goes, and I'm going to paraphrase it, I'm just going to summarize it, I'm not going to read it from the scripture tonight, but summarize the story, Jesus said that there was a field being taken care of by a farmer. And as the story goes, he was planting uh, wheat so that it would grow and make a good harvest, then there were some weeds in the middle of those. So as a farmer would understand it, the wheat were things that were good, things that were wanted, that were intentionally planted there and wanted to be grown so that they could be sold or consumed. Weeds, however, were unwelcome invaders. They were growing along with the wheat. They were both growing side by side, and the weeds would cause problems for some of the uh, the weeds. Excuse me, would cause problems for some of the wheat. It would strangle them, uh, tear them down, take up too much space and nutrients for the wheat. And it said that instead of going out into the field and getting rid of these weeds, ripping them up, as a farmer might do, instead, according to the story. The servants came and asked the farmer if they wanted the weeds removed, and he actually told the servants, who represent the angels of God, 
tells them to let those weeds remain for now. He's actually saying if they go and they rip out the weeds too soon, yes, they'll get rid of the weeds, but they might accidentally damage the wheat as well. So the farmer allowed both of these things to grow side by side in the same field. Then, when the harvest was finished, then he went through and made sure after the wheat was fully grown, then and only then when he was ready to remove the wheat, and he got rid of the weeds as well, and he separated them into two separate piles as he went. Now, <clears throat> that's the entire story, but the <clears throat> the meaning of the story was basically the wheat and the weeds represent humanity, and the the good and the bad represent those who put their faith in him, Jesus, and those who don't put their faith in him. Basically, the field represents history. God allows those who put their faith in his son and those who refuse to put their faith in his son to live and grow side by side. So basically what Jesus says about the parable is, just like the wheat and the weeds, at the end of history, when it's time for the judgment, and that's where the controversy I mentioned comes in, when it's time for the judgment to come, and God will send uh, angels in judgment to separate those who've put their faith in him from those who haven't. And when the time is right, those who've put their faith in him will go into his presence. Those who haven't will be shut out. The reason he told the story was just to give this word picture of, one, one why bad things happen. We've already talked about that in a whole other episode, so I won't go down that rabbit trail. But uh, also, why it is that God could seem to bless someone who is cruel and vindictive and greedy, and yet uh, the same kind of blessing or even less seems to go to those who've dedicated their lives to him, who are gentle and kind and persevere. And Jesus is saying the answer to this question is because he's allowing both to grow together case judge uh, the pain of judgment accidentally comes back on the church as he's putting judgment upon the wicked now it's a controversial subject but the idea of hell and judgment goes into this image the idea that someday there will be a reckoning but in the meantime he's allowing both the good and the bad to enjoy his good gifts underneath the same sun in the hmm. meantime all right so um in that same uh line of thinking talking about um the parables uh that uh, in the same chapter um there is another parable uh cuz basically what happens is there's the parable that Robert was talking about which is called the parable of the weeds and then there's also a couple others and then um you know, he Jesus explains the parable of the weeds and then there's the the parable of the hidden treasure and that's the one that I'm going to talk about. Um, and that's also um, in uh, Matthew chapter 13. And basically what Jesus is saying is talking about, um, so there's a guy who's, you know, walking in the field and, um, you know, just, you know, minding his own business, not really doing anything out of extraordinary anything. And he stumbles upon treasure um 
and it it was hidden in the field, and he just happens to come upon it, find it. So realizing the value of the treasure, realizing the value of uh, of what he's found, he quickly hides it, you know, covers it up, kind of like you know, makes a mental note of where it's at, the location of it, and then he goes and he sells everything. Um, he's out, you know, whether, let's say he had, you know, a decent house and maybe even had some servants or something like that. He, he saw the value in this hidden treasure, much more than what he already had. And he sold everything that he had every, like he basically liquidated all of his assets so that he could then buy that field because the field, that treasure rather, was so much more better than anything that he ever had. And so this idea, this picture here is talking about, because um, kind of like how Robert was talking about, like the, 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 the kingdom of God coming and things like that. And now Jesus was talking about the value of the kingdom of God and basically, like how everything that we have, you know, everything that this guy had, pales in comparison to the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. Um, and how we can apply that to us to ourselves today is all the things that we value do not compare to the the what is to come with the kingdom of God coming. Um, Oftentimes we think of uh, our little kingdoms on earth, you know, the value that we have in, in, in our portfolios or our bank accounts or all those, you know, um, not to say that those are, are bad necessarily, but in comparison, those things are nothing in comparison to the kingdom of God. And at the same token with that is we as believers have forsaken all of uh, everything, so so to speak, for the value of the kingdom of God, our rights, so to speak, over our lives. We're surrendering to the Lord because we see the value, the hope, and all those things. We see the value of that over, you know, these temporal, temporal things that we have it for a short period of time and then, you know, 50 years if you're lucky. If you're in your 20s or 30s and you get a house, you know, you have, own it for 50 years, if that, and then you die and you give it to somebody else, you know, whether they, they, and they do whatever they want with it. I mean, so it's like your, the stuff, your assets that you have at this moment are fleeting, but the kingdom of God is eternal and it lasts forever and ever. And that's the value that be willing to sacrifice everything for that kingdom, to have that kingdom, to be in part of that kingdom. And it always strikes me, and we're all guilty of it. I know I am. Um, I, I try to, to not be, but I, but I know I'm guilty of it, is we all are, we all fall victim to being very materialistic. And we look to find joy or happiness and acquiring stuff and things and and building up as as much wealth as we can and um 
I know that, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, especially a lot of older people I hear say, you know, well, you can't take it with you, you know, meaning, you know, once you die, all this wealth you've accumulated in life means nothing, um, you know, once you die. But um, I, I think another good thing, um, and this is something that I try to do, and I try to tell myself or remind myself about this several times a day, um, especially if I'm starting to feel materialistic or um, putting value and putting too much stock into things uh, here on Earth is, you know, we're called to be stewards of, of what God gives us. And by looking at all of your possessions, all of your money, all of your wealth as these things are not mine, this is what God has chose to give me, and I am to use this for him um, in a way that honors God. I think that really helps to rein in a lot of that materialistic tendencies that we have. Now, like I said, no one's perfect. I still struggle with it. I'm sure we all do, but... Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, <laughs> I know that that's that, justification. Sorry. Yeah, and but it's 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 hard to kind of get out of that mindset if you've been in that mindset kind of your whole life, because um, in in our society it's drilled into you of of you know the instant gratification of just buying things, throwing your old stuff out, just everything's disposable now, and just accumulating more stuff, more wealth and it can quickly kind of take over and become your god um if, if you if you're not careful and if you if you let it yeah, absolutely i mean and and that's the thing it's like especially whenever we hold on to those things and they become our focus you know, as you know it's like you're it's not wrong to have things it's just, it's just mm -hmm. when those things have you you know it's like yeah yeah you know, it's like it's no there's nothing wrong with having a nice new car there's nothing wrong with having a nice new house None of those things in themselves are bad but when that becomes your focus when that becomes your drive when that gets you so to, um gets you up and about you're willing to do whatever it takes to get those things. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's when it becomes problematic. Whenever you're willing to uh, sell out everybody and anybody and everything, and even your morals, to, just so you can get some materialistic thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's that's it's it's not the it's not it's not fulfilling. And then you know this thing that you've uh, you've made into a little god and a little you know little g god an idol so to speak you know it cannot bear the weight of hope it can't bear the weight of eternity it can't bear the weight of anything so whenever you finally get whatever it is that you're this materialistic thing you know, it can't save you, <laughs> you know, it yeah. can't provide hope for you and then next thing you know it's this shallow thing that you know maybe even brings guilt upon you because what you did uh who you hurt or whatever to get whatever it was that you wanted, I mean, sets in. And and there's an enemy out there that loves to um, poke his uh, head out and say, "Oh, look what you did there! Look, look how you compromised this and you did this, and mm -hmm. look at all the people that you hurt." And then all of a sudden, that guilt and that 
fear and anxiety just starts to overwhelm you. And I mean, with, with money, especially like, you know, a lot of people say money's evil and I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think money has money by itself is neither good or evil. It's just a tool. It's like right. a knife, a knife sitting on the table is just a tool it's what you choose to do with that knife that makes it good or bad you could either stab someone or you could use that knife to perform a task you know peel a potato whatever um you know so money is kind of the same way it, it's a tool that's neither good or evil but it's it turn it corrupts a lot of people um very easily um and i think i read a stat that um, and Robert or Zach, please correct me if I if I'm wrong here. But doesn't uh, Jesus uh, preach about money pretty much more than any other topic um, when he was doing his ministry? Yeah, he definitely Just, mentioned it in one way or another more than almost anything. Uh, he used the yeah. money as an illustration. He used money as just kind of a basic, you know, lesson about loving almost anything more than god but money is kind of the heart of your economy so yeah, nothing yeah. uh I, th I think it was billy graham but someone said that you know uh if you really want to see a snapshot of someone's heart despite anything they have to say just take a look at their their bank account and what they've been spending money on and so going back to kind of these parables as a whole um, back then when Jesus was preaching and, and ministering to people, does the Bible or does resources give any indication as far as how widely understood were these parables by the people that he, uh, he was preaching to? Um, did he kind of leave it up to them to really ponder and meditate on it and find the meaning or were most people clueless as to really not understanding what he's trying to say here um i think it was a mixture um i think some of them were pretty simple um but at the same time you know there's in, in there's instances in scripture where the apostles or, or you know jesus's followers like hey uh we don't get this could you explain it to us uh the the parable that uh robert actually spoke about um the parable of the weeds um the disciples have that very question and jesus explains to them what it means he also does that with the parable of the sower um mm -hmm. so there's instances of where they didn't like the disciples didn't get it um there are instances where jesus is talking to or talking about the the pharisees and the sadducees and you know they pick up on it, and he's like, and it, the text says that they perceived that he was talking about them. So there are instances where people don't get it, or instances of where they got exactly what he was saying. It just it just depends. And if any of the listeners out there, um, if you've never really read through the parables and this is kind of your first introduction to some of the parables and you want to read more, um, 
what what would you say to some of our listeners who may be experiencing these for the first time and maybe they've read through them they don't quite understand them um what resources uh, would you recommend for them um one book uh book i could recommend right off the bat is interpreting the parables by craig blomberg mm-hmm. uh i'll say it one more time interpreting the parables Craig with a C, Blomberg. Um, what he he's a, a biblical scholar who teaches seminary courses, and he just does a very good, excellent job of breaking down what the stories could possibly mean, the metaphors behind them, mm-hmm. um, different interpretations, and why. He, he's very fair and thorough with that. Um, if you can't really fork over money for a book, or you don't have much time to read it cover to cover or skim it too much. Also, a trusted resource online could help you with that. Um, uh, Zach, do you know any good websites for that kind of thing? Um, I think there is uh, this um, on about copyright and things of that nature, but um, I do know there's like a NET translation. It's like it's like a you could actually uh, click on and. Um, uh, a lot of times, you know, they'll give you the, the, the chapters and the verses, and then they'll give commentaries to it. Um, there's also, uh, it's a phone app that you can download. It's called Bible Gateway. Um, and a lot of times, you know, that's a simple thing. You can select what translation you want to read from. Um, there's a whole, uh, I know a lot of people have questions about translations and things like that, but as of now, we'll just keep it simple and just say you can pick a translation that you prefer um and then you know you can select a passage that you want to read and then also it will give commentary on those excellent yeah thank you um i i don't know that i've heard of of that bible gateway app uh so i actually learned that um oh i I mean i i know that's the one i've had on my phone before Uh um, Mm -hmm. and i have currently on my phone um, and that is, I mean, it's simple, it's easy. Uh, you just, you, know, you look up the, the, the chapter and the verse that you want to look up and then you select it and then it'll give you a little bit of a commentary. And then if you want, you can even like, you can double click it and, you know, share it. Um, so there's, there's numerous ways that, um, you know, like say if there's something that really like speaks to you and, you know, you want to share it with a family member or a friend or like that you can you know just hit the share button and select whoever it is you want to share it with so it's really handy it's a it's a great tool and there's and that's just off the top of my head i'm sure there's probably dozens of you know other apps out there and um websites you know obviously you want to be careful because you know there's some websites out there that you you want to be mindful of but you know at the end of the day there's also a lot of good sources and good resources out there And that actually does um, bring up to mind uh, a potential good um, podcast episode. Um, uh, Zach, Robert, tell me what you think. And um, the listeners out there, they can give their feedback as well. But I think um, when we get further down the the road just a little bit, a good uh, episode would be talking about the different kind of Bible translations and just kind of the history of the Bible as far as 
you know, it started out Aramaic, um, Greek, um, Latin, and then it was translated kind of through the years to the various languages, English, and then we have all these different translations available now. Uh, just kind of talking about some of the similarities, some of the differences in those, um, how to pick one. I mean, I know you have your really easy reading, a very clear cut, like the King James. Um, and then you have your more yeah. kind of um, harder to read, like uh, the message. No, I'm kidding um, on stuff like that. But uh, still, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you made me snort. That's pretty funny. That, that's yeah. good. No, sorry. But, um, I got anyway. I got the joke you were going there because the message is, is a paraphrase and it's easy to understand the king james is elizabeth english and <laughs> thou now now we then talk over oh, this way yonder God, i like, love what? the king james um then, you know and, and i want to be careful i'm not i'm not bashing it i mean you know no you, no of you prefer if, if if and 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 that's the people out there you know i again this is a separate topic but it, you know i always say read the bible you feel comfortable with if you i mean i know there's 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 people out there that says if you don't read the king james then you know you're not reading the true bible and and we can talk about that um but you know as long as it's an actual translation and not like a paraphrase yeah. and the the bible that you pick up and you actually read and you actually understand it that's the one you need to you know mm-hmm need to use yeah so yeah so sorry for that little tangent there but um yeah i think that was um good discussion but uh yeah what's our uh what's our next parable to jump into Rotors, right. take it away all right jumping into next parable as the ball passes back to me um Keeping in line with, uh, honestly, it keeps in line with the theme of both parables that have come up. Um, I was going to keep with my own theme, but it also rings very well with Zach's. Uh, we went on that little trail talking about, you know, you can't worship both God and possessions. And so going into this next one, another controversial one, um, but I'm actually kind of excited to go into it. I'm not going to chase all the rabbits. Um, that would be its own episode. But uh, just to stick to what can actually be taken for sure by everyone who reads the parable. It's uh, something from Luke 16. Jesus tells the parable, and it's a very, very uh, roller coaster. It, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, there are some, we'll mention this, one controversy. There are some who believe that this is not a parable. Some believe that this may have actually occurred, and Jesus, being God, was aware of it. And the reason is because it's the only character in all of Jesus' parables. They're all anonymous except this one man who's given the name Lazarus. And so there was a rich man who had many different possessions. He was very wealthy. He was very well taken care of. But there was a beggar outside of his home named Lazarus. And the rich man knew him. He saw him. He was aware that he was there. But the rich man loved his own possessions and his own comfort to the point absolutely nothing to help this poor man, Lazarus. And it says that Lazarus sat in the streets. Uh, he was riddled with the disease. He was slowly fading away. It said that dogs would be roaming the streets 
and these strays would come up and start licking his skin because sores had busted up all over his body due to exposure to the weather and perhaps due to the skin diseases that were prone at the time. And eventually, Lazarus passes away simply because he wither, he slowly withers to death and the rich man does nothing to help him. And then, the rich man in his turn passes away. And uh, basically, the rich man ends up in in hell and he can actually see across the way to Lazarus the beggar and they are both in this afterlife the rich man is in this tormented state because he loved his possessions more than he loved God himself and the beggar put his faith and his hope in God alone he's now being comforted by Abraham himself who was the founder and one of the heroes of the Jewish faith and actually the parable says that um, the rich man was begging for any kind of relief from the torment he was feeling on his side of the room. And there, uh, Abraham basically tells him that there's no way for him to cross from one end to the other. The, the man Lazarus who died in squalor is actually now going to be comforted by God's presence forever. The rich man who found so much comfort in his own possessions but allowed his own heart to be full of greed and cruelty and self-centeredness now he has to be separated from god for eternity so now the tables have turned the way things were in life will not be the way things were are in eternity the real punch is the finale to the story basically uh the rich man in torment begs uh begs abraham is there any way for me to go back perhaps as a ghost and warn my brothers, that this place is real. Didn't take it seriously until now. It's too late. But uh, is there any way I could return to the earth temporarily in order to uh, try to warn my brothers that this place is true and that this is where they're headed? And Abraham's answer is basically Jesus' answer to the crowd in regards to this thing because he's dropping this hint. He says, no, even if someone were to rise from the dead, will not believe because their hearts are so hard what he's doing is he's pointing the thumb back at himself he himself is about to rise from the dead again after he's crucified so he's dropping this hint that someday soon you're going to hear these rumors that i've risen from the dead and and you're not going to believe me simply because you don't want to not even the miracle of a dead man coming back from the grave is going to be enough to change your heart so he's covering so many bases with this one story. He's exposing human hearts. He's giving a an early hint to how this whole story of his public ministry is about to end, so that when the rumor starts to spread, it would, if they're honest with themselves, they remember him teaching it very early. They knew, they'll know in that moment that he was planning it all along. They'll say that even if someone rises from the dead, that hint, Jesus is talking about himself. Even if someone rises from the dead, then they themselves are not going to believe it, and that will be the basis for their judgment at the final time. Of course, this is controversial for many reasons. Some people disagree with the details of what the afterlife really looks like. Some people wonder if this may have really occurred, and I've already mentioned that. But 
the main thing it's controversial for is just because it touches so close to the doctrine and concept of hell. This idea that there is a place where you are separated for God, from God forever. This idea that what you do in life really does have some kind of impact in eternity, for better or for worse. And the, the whole uh, point of where you go entirely hinges on your relationship with Him. And I actually uh, described this to a, a class I've been teaching for the last couple of months at the church where I'm a, an associate pastor. I asked about uh, heaven and hell. And basically said that what God is wanting is uh, honestly the opposite of what most of us do when we approach the subject. Usually, and I'm confident that I'm I'm accurate in how I've seen this, you present the ideas of heaven and hell to a youth group, especially when you set up a judgment house at Halloween. Mm-hmm. You have this idea, here's a good place, here's a terrible place. And this is somewhere you want to be, somewhere you don't want to be. And the whole point that we push to the teenagers or to and the people who come and visit us at judgment house time, pose the, we don't really pose the question of who do you say Jesus is. We just pose the question of where do you want to be? So the idea is put your faith in Jesus so that you can go to the good place. I think we're accidentally misplacing the end goal of our our affections when we do that. Goal of being in heaven should not be to escape hell. It shouldn't be to go to heaven in and of itself to make sure you yourself are in paradise. The question is, who do you say Jesus is, and are you willing to bow to him and love him? Because the whole point of whether heaven or hell is a good or a bad place is simply, is God even there? If you don't, he won't force you to take him. We've talked about that in another episode, so I'm not going down a lengthy trail about it, but the focus should be on the person rather than on the house. Um, no, no person would ever want to know you were marrying them simply to snag that sweet estate that you have to your family name. <laughs> I don't know of a single woman, speaking as a guy, I don't know of a single woman in her right mind who would feel flattered in the slightest if she found out that I, I was after her ranch house in the mountains rather than actually trying to pursue her heart. And if it's true in marriage, it's definitely also is true in eternity with the one who made us. And so this pretty spooky story was used by Jesus to kind of bounce back to this concept of you know, who's who has your heart. That's going to define your eternity simply because the one you're making a decision about is the maker and sustainer of your eternity. And Jesus leaves it at that until he goes to the cross. Wow. Yeah, I remember uh, first reading that one, just how powerful um, that that parable was. And that's probably, I, I agree with you, that's probably one of the more powerful ones that uh, he, uh, he spoke about. Yeah, uh, personally, it's one of my personal favorites. It, it mm-hmm. hasn't been able to leave my head as we've been preparing for the, for the, <laughs> yeah. the story here. Good stuff. Good stuff. So the next one that I am going to be talking about, I'm going to be jumping to Matthew 21. It's the parable of the two sons. 
kind of to set the um, the background to this, so to speak. Um, Jesus, you know, has been teaching. He's done some. Um, he basically went up to the temple, saw them doing a bunch of wicked things, and um, you know, inside the temple, you know, uh, uh, and he basically gathers a uh, a whip, or you know, like a, a and just starts beating people, like, get out of my father's house because you guys are making it a place of trade, and that's not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place of worship. Um, so when people ask, what would Jesus do? You know, uh, he, you know, one thing that he did, you know, again, this is God himself seeing humanity do something terrible to a place of worship, and he got kicked off, and he, he, he whips the people. So... <laughs> Whipping people isn't necessarily outside the possibility of what would Jesus do. So, <laughs> you know, it's one of those one of those jokes. But um, but so essentially, Jesus cleanses the temple, and there's a bunch of people, the Sadducees, who were the kind of like the uh, managers of the temple. They come out and they're like, "Under whose authority are you? You know, did you do this, so to speak?" And Jesus is like. You know, basically just saying, you know, he basically poses a question to them and they can't, they refuse to give the answer. It's about John the Baptist. And um, they, the the people love John the Baptist and they consider him a prophet because the Sadducees didn't want to say that. They didn't want to give glory to, you know, not necessarily glory, but give uh, praise to this prophet. They refuse to answer Jesus' question, and Jesus is like, well, I'm not going to answer your question. You can't answer mine. Um, and then uh, he goes on to talk about a parable of two sons and kind of give a little bit of a backdrop about uh, the culture of um, uh, these people, you know, the Jewish people. Uh, Jesus, a lot of times, and in, in the previous uh, episode, uh, Robert had talked about the parable of the two sons. Um, and this is another kind of example of that where uh, there's one person, one son represented. You know, basically, it's kind of like um, the, the Jewish people and then the other, or the I would say, before I say Jewish people, I'd say people who, uh, maybe righteous people, the Pharisees, that, that's like the one son, and then the other son is um, kind of like uh, the... Uh, uh, prostitutes and the tax collectors and things like that. Um, and so Jesus gives the, uh, the parable talking about you know, a man has two sons, um, and he goes up to the first son and he says, you know, go and work my vineyard today. And the son says, okay, I'll do it. But then he doesn't do it. But then later, you know, I'm sorry. I, let me back up. I apologize about that. I got mixed up. Uh, so he answered, I will not go and work the vineyard. And um, But then later he changed his mind, and he went and he went into work in the vineyard. Next son he went up to, the, the manager went to, the father went to, um, and he says, you know, son, go work in the vineyard. The son says, I will do so, but never does. Jesus asked a question to the people who were standing there. He's like, which one is the one who the Father's will? 
and they're they're the basically the Pharisees and the Sadducees were like first one, the one who actually went and did the work, even though he said he wouldn't, he refused it at first. And that's when Jesus is say he goes and says the tax collectors and the prostitutes and all these people, all these what you would consider bad people, all these people that would be rejects of society are entering the kingdom of God before you because they're actually doing the will of the Father. They're actually seeing their sin and repenting of it, whereas the people who are self-righteous, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're like, we're good. We don't need to repent. There's nothing to repent from, when in reality, every single person in humanity has an issue. And so, you know, in the beginning, this one son didn't want to do the work and then later changed his mind and did it. You know, think about someone who lives a lifestyle that doesn't honor the Lord and then they change their heart and change their mind and follow him versus someone who never does those things and they're self-righteous in their own eyes and they think they're good and they don't need salvation. They don't need um, rescuing, so to speak, from themselves. And so it's like, which one was justified? The one that actually did the will of the Father, the one that actually went and did the work, the one that actually repented. So that's the parable of the two sons. Mm. Yeah, I don't think it's been a while since I've read that one. That It, it took me a minute Um until you started going into it for me to remember that one. Um, I need to go back and uh, read some of those again. Um. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're deep. I mean, in like Robert's mentioned before, it's like these are short stories, but the, the, the spiritual impact, the oomph that is in mm-hmm. that, you know, it's like for Jesus to tell these, you know, they looked good. They smelled good. Literally, probably they actually smelled better than the you know these other people who these these were the social elites. You know the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know they looked nice. They smelled nice, mm-hmm. and all these things. And then you had prostitutes and the people in the tax collectors, as Robert mentioned in a previous episode. These people. Know, were considered the scum of the earth. Obviously, you know, prostitutes, you, you know exactly what that is to this day. It's like someone who sells themselves you know, for pleasure so they can get money out of it. And then, you know, a tax collector in that day and time was someone who was Jewish who betrayed their own people so that they can get money and goods from Rome and, and, and take away and basically, in a way, justify stealing from their own countrymen. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, these people are actually repenting, and they're actually doing the will, whereas you guys aren't. So he's like literally, like in a way, punching him in the face, saying, hey, you guys don't have what it takes. You guys aren't, you, you, don't, you haven't even figured it out yet. You're the, you're the son that's going to say they're going to do something, and they end up doing nothing. And I guess, too, kind of kind of using that um, parable to kind of segue into our next episode coming up where we're talking about um, 
different denominations and kind of picking a church um this parable could could be applied to to looking at at some of these churches when you're when you're trying to pick one as far as I'm sure there's several preachers and pastors out there, especially at some of these, not to mention any name, mega churches where they're really self-righteous. Um, they really view themselves as, you know, I've I've figured it out. I, I've got the secret. I'm kind of, um, I've kind of mastered sin or, or kind of freed myself and and you know do things this way and and you can rid yourself of sin and and they're kind of preaching this from a um holier than thou uh, self-righteous um a thing and um and that's a, a good way to tell you know that this this is probably not a good message it's it's probably someone who really doesn't truly understand the gospel or is not doesn't really know what they're preaching about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, just kind of going into what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times um, it's substance, you know, of what the person is saying. Like if, if they're they're looking at, you know, what all I've done, you know, look at me, look at, you know, the Pharisees of Jesus' day were doing the same thing. They were like, were out in the public square. They had the best seats in the public mm -hmm. venues. Mm -hmm. you know, they did like super great lofty prayers. You know, the most eloquent, you know, uh, eloquent teachers, you know, like, you know, they were like, I won't say Hollywood of the Jerusalem, but they were definitely like, you know the the people everybody looked to and was like, "Hey, there's a rabbi right there," and everybody make way for the rabbi. Everybody make way from the for the the, the priests and the the Pharisees because these guys have it together. You know they tithe and you know again, like I said, they look good, they smell good, which in that day and time was significant because you lived in a desert and wasn't like you know bathing like they had but they could afford like oils and stuff like that to make themselves smell good and and like so uh, by all appearances uh, like again going back to the concept of what they were talking about they were like look at me look at what i did look what i can do <laughs> it's like yeah buddy you can't do anything really i mean at the end of the day in uh, just to kind of go on a tangent here a little bit, I mean, the prophet Isaiah talked about our righteousness, and, you know, that also probably, uh, I would say, of the Pharisees was like filthy rags. Mm -hmm. And uh, a word study of that right there talks about it actually being, you know, like male-used minstrel rags. Like, that's how our righteousness is to God. Um, so not to be graphic there by any means, but it it states the point, you know, like these people, these Pharisees, like you're talking about these people today who think they've uh, they've arrived and they've achieved something of their own volition, their own power. Like, nah, you've not mm -hmm. figured out. Yeah, it, it actually, you've, you've you fell into the same pit the Pharisees and the Sadducees were guilty of. Yeah, and it. And you look at how history repeats itself. Like you see these these Pharisees and Sadducees and the and these rabbis, and 
they're so bigoted and intolerant of anybody who they deemed as lesser than them or i mean they would place almost no value um uh take the take the story of the good samaritan you know uh, samaritans were hated uh by the uh -huh. jews in that time and the fact that jesus elevated a samaritan to be the good guy of the story was i mean that was just unheard of to them um because mm -hmm. of just all the the intolerance and and just how bigoted they were towards everybody who wasn't in their little circle and right. we see that even even in today's culture like any any place you go that is preaching down or talking down to a group of people as being less than or you know not worthy of your time or um any of these um so-called churches that just spew just kind of hate and racism and intolerance and i mean it's it's shocking to to think of but i mean there are some places like that that call themselves churches and they mm -hmm. kind of, and they kind of preach that and um i think that's kind of what's contributed to kind of christianity especially in our culture today kind of getting a very bad reputation is um places that teach that um they kind of get the spotlight shown on them um and yeah. it kind of it kind of corrupts uh, the whole message um yeah, well i mean it's like you see somebody you know if somebody insults you and they talk to you like you're stupid or this or that and then it's like oh well by the way i'm a christian let me tell you it's like wait you've just insulted me you know you know wait let me not even hear what you have to say because you insulted me it's like whereas you know we're all sinners and you know before you before you go and try to remove the 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 speck out of your brother's eye see the log in your own mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean don't talk to them but remember compassion you know yes. before before you refuse to even have somebody wait on you because their sexual orientation may be different than what you know what the bible teaches you know or you know or things of that nature still or you hop up and talk about this and that and whatever righteousness that you have on your own, which is none, um, remember that you represent Jesus and that, you know what, this person has issues, but so do you. And remember your issues, oh, God saved me, a sinner, just as much as he saved that other, uh, as he could save that person there who is you know, having this sexual um uh, identity crisis or or whatever you know that um and to then show compassion i mean how much louder does compassion and love and again not saying that you don't talk about the hard stuff i'm i am saying talk about the hard stuff how you talk about those things and how you treat those people is make or break the person you know Hearing what you have to say, if if they hear, you know, I'm a Christian, and then you start belittling them and bad mouthing them and all that, they're not going to be receptive to the gospel. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, 
But at the same time, I mean, they do need to hear, like, hey, we're all sinners, myself included, I'm included, yeah. Robert's included, Brian's included. We're all included mm-hmm. in that. It might sin differently. It might manifest in our lives differently. But we're no better. And that's why we need Jesus. I think uh, I think that self-righteousness that comes off from some people, it comes to the, about being intolerant. You know, I think there's a misguided... Like self-righteousness there because, oh, well, I'm doing what God told me to do. I'm living this lifestyle that God condones. You know, I'm married and blah, 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 and I'm doing these things that God condones, you know, like in in the order of creation or whatever you want to argue there. At the same time, I'm treating my fellow man like crap, and that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to share the truth, also do it in such a way that at the end of the day, that person sees Jesus, sees God, not me. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think if you really boil down some of the key messages that that Jesus was trying to to teach more than anything was us loving each other and us helping each other and that's ultimately what it what it was about uh jesus never hated any person jesus hated the evil that befell the world that corrupted people he hated that evil but the actual people all people no matter who it was i mean he loved every person more than we could fathom and part of following him would be striving to love each other even remotely the same way as jesus and and god loved us and part of that is looking at every single person as a unique creation by god like we're all made in god's image we're all his children some of us are lost some of us you know need to be found and and all this but if if you're coming at someone from a place of hate or intolerance it's exactly what you said you're never going to get you're never going to get that person you're never going to make an impact on well a positive impact um definitely coming out of intolerance you're definitely going to make a negative impact but uh but yeah i mean i i think you know that's what we need to strive for and i think that's where a lot of places they get a lot of messages kind of get lost because they come from a place where they don't have that compassion they don't have that that love for fellow man um uh when they approach um, but, uh, and I think this is a great setup for our, our next, uh, episode coming up, but, uh, Robert, I know Zach and I kind of took off. Uh, do you want to land the plane? Um, any final thoughts, uh, from your side? Sure. Um, kind of taking this back to, you know, the theme of the episode was sharing parables and I mean, who is your greatest treasure? And all the things that we've been talking about, whether you have too much of your heart clinging to your possessions, whether you're too worried about making a point and not worried enough about making a difference, all these things boil down to, you know, who who or what is the thing that you hold most dear? And if the answer is 
Jesus, then I, I mean, absolutely, everything is going to fall into line. You're going to put him before your possessions. You're going to build bridges with people because you see people the way he wants you to see them. But one thing to be very careful with is um, is the greatest possession of your heart, church culture, church life, the things you've been involved in, the friends you've had, uh, the worship that you're used to, and even uh, Bible principles. And what I mean by that are you know, following and obeying what Scripture says for its own sake without allowing this living person to be the true center of your heart. Everything that comes with him without fostering a relationship with him. And so that's the big thing I want to take away as we land the plane. Is Jesus alone thing that you have the very center of your heart. And I'm asking established Christians, I'm asking seekers who are curious about this podcast, uh, people who might be interested in religion and even the vaguest sense. It's a question for all of us to constantly ask, even after we become believers. And as we phase into the next episode, which I know the next episode we're going to be covering uh, church uh, denominational life, uh, church life in general, um, is he the center of your heart rather than that culture? There's a huge uh, difference. Okay. But it's just a question for every last one of us. So to land the plane, I just wanted to be meditative. Absolutely. And uh, for everybody listening, um, I hope uh, you got some insight. Hope you got some good knowledge out of this. Uh, definitely um, a big thank to you, Zach and Robert, for um, some excellent discussion around some of these parables, these stories that Jesus taught. And uh, definitely everybody uh, uh, tune in for our next episode. Uh, we'll dive right into church culture and some of the different denominations out there. So we will see you next time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. See ya.